Hello and welcome back to Out of the Question. I'm pretty excited to have the British comedian Mark Watson on the podcast this week. Not only is he hilarious, but I also like the way he explores the formats in which comedy can be presented. He's won Perrier Awards and Time Out Critics' Choice Awards and also been nominated for Barry Awards at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. He's appeared on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, Mock the Week, Would I Lie to You and Michael McIntyre's Comedy Roadshow. And he's also written five novels. Mark is back in Melbourne right now with his new show This Can't Be It where he tries to cram a year of pathological overthinking into an hour's stand-up. If you want to hear the episode ad-free, as well as taking the bonus content where Mark talks about going on Celebrity Island with Bear Grills, then head over to patreon.com forward slash out of the question with Adam Zwar. That's patreon.com forward slash out of the question with Adam Zwar. Mark's plane to Melbourne, which also had Adam Hills on board, was delayed 24 hours due to a catering issue. We talk about that here. We also talk about him using a Welsh accent when he first started in comedy and the fact that it's necessary in an industry where you need to create your own work to continually tell yourself to keep going. But first, I asked Mark how his colleagues would describe him. This is an interesting question for a um, someone like me who works mostly on their own um, because, uh, you know, fellow workers is, is oh, mind you, my, my partner and I run a, a production company as well. We work together. Uh, I do have people that I kind of in inverted commas work with, but it's not quite the same as a, an office environment or something. And one of the, I suppose, one of the problems with um, comedians temperamentally is that we are all obsessed with how people think about us the whole time <laughs> uh, because it, it comes with the territory really. Of course. Uh, like, I mean, uh, you, I, I, oh, well, that sounds quite narcissistic and it probably is, but you're, you're sort of, your job is to sell yourself constantly as a comedian. So, um, so how people describe you is maybe even more of a nagging question to someone in my position <laughs> than it would be to everyone else. Um, I, t- I, I tend to sort of pride myself on being good to work with generally like respectful of other people patient well i don't know if patient is the right word but basically i think i think people would say uh that i'm nice and and pleasant to work with but sometimes that can be a bit of a double-edged sword i, I think um I'm, I'm quite easy to walk over as well quite easy to uh and this doesn't happen with the people that i routinely work with but i'm quite easily taken advantage of because i don't necessarily stand up for myself um and i spend a lot i'm a real people pleaser i so i think a lot of people would describe me as generally good natured and fun to work with but the kind of flip side of that is i'm not i don't necessarily look after my own interests (laughs) all the time have you ever thought to address that i mean it kind of resonates with me that uh that comment uh yes i've thought about it loads and not really actually addressed it is the, probably the answer <laughs> as with a lot of uh issues in life uh, it's it's an interesting one it's difficult because if you um I, I was talking about this or actually sort of obliquely talking about it with adam hills my friend adam hills the uh strength just the other day because uh he he was on the same flight uh, although I didn't know, but we were texting each other. It turned out he was on the same flight as me, which had been uh, grounded like very, very late in the day when we were already on the runway. And he, he tweeted a sort of slightly irritable thing about it. Um, 
and got a lot of pushback from people going, well, you're, you're in a privileged position. There's much more important stuff in the world, all this kind of thing. Um, you know, what about Ukraine? The sort of stuff that people do <laughs> say on Twitter, if you voice any opinion that isn't the exact same thing that they're thinking about. Yeah. Um, and, but the thing is, uh, Hills is known as such a reasonable guy and so nice to everyone and, you know, radiates this sort of general good humour. So I, I suppose my point is, people were much more resistant to him being like that because he, he doesn't generally, he isn't seen that way. So 100%. do you know what I mean? If you set yeah. a precedent that you are nice, then people seem to really take offense if you ever try and change that. <laughs> Where, so, uh, you know, the, the trick is to, is to set your boundaries quite early in life and be known as someone that doesn't take any bullshit, I think, because if you're known as someone that does take bullshit, then it's really hard to reverse that. It's like if Shia LaBeouf tweets that, they, you know, you know, fuck Qantas, uh, then everyone's like, yeah, fine. Exactly. But, yeah, but, yeah. But if, if someone does it that you're, is known for um, treating everything with a smile, they're like, oh, what happened to you? You've changed. So, yeah, <laughs> you have to somehow earn the earn the right to be a bit of an asshole by, by being one early enough in life. <laughs> so that's our advice. Uh, go early as an asshole. Uh, go early if you're yeah, going to do it. <laughs> the second question is, what's the most unhelpful feedback you've received? Well, I think the answer to this is, um when i was first gigging uh i used to not ideally not have like friends and family come and watch me because i didn't know if it'd be any good and i felt like i'd be much more inhibited if i did have um and i was anytime I, someone did sneak in um it made me far more self-conscious than performing in front of strangers and uh there was there were a couple of hometown gigs i did early on in life that didn't go great um, and on each occasion, my mum was there and her friends were there. And, um, and this happens to most comedians. I would receive uh, what was meant as helpful feedback from friends of my mum, but always was massively discouraging. It would be stuff like, like I remember one of them saying after a gig where I'd really sort of given everything but to very little after one of my mum's friends said you, you must be so tired you put so much energy in and uh there's a whole school of compliments like unsuccessful compliments like that from the sort of i say mum's friends generically just like that that sort of person someone that you, you could have done without being in the show how do you remember all that is another one um like or, uh, and uh, there's uh, similar things like that. Actors get that even more. I think. Oh, I don't know how you remember all those lines, or I don't know how you managed to come on and off at the right time. So yeah, <laughs> the most unhelpful feedback I've received basically has been several remarks in that kind of genre of uh, things that are meant to say well done, but they actually just emphasise that, that it wasn't very good. Because if it had been, they would have just said, "Oh, that went great." <laughs> <laughs> Something I, I I relate to, and I come from an acting background, is that you you started off. Uh, with your well natural Welsh accent doing stand up, and then you then you made a decision to go back to yeah. what you how you normally speak. Is that true? Yeah, I dialed up the accent quite considerably in my early days. It was a sort of not exactly a persona because, I, well, I suppose it was, but I didn't uh, claim any kind of Welshness or I didn't falsify any aspects of my life personality apart from I was just using an accent that kind of wasn't mine, and um, it was partly mine as well because it is like my family's. Or extended family's accent and I'd grown up near Wales and so it's very easy for me to do it didn't even really feel like acting I'm not someone that can do many accents I'm not really a, a mimic I just happen to have that in my locker and um yeah it began as a way of 
just freeing myself again from the yes. inhibitions of it. No one likes to, or not no one, <laughs> some people love the sound of their own voice, but uh, when you start out, you are quite, you're quite over aware of what you sound like, I think. Mm. Um, and your own voice in the microphone, in the silence. So it was a way of getting past all that and making it feel like it wasn't quite me up there. And it did work. But then if you become successful like that, again, this comes back to this thing of setting a precedent. Uh, suddenly that became who everyone thought I was. And at some point I had to ditch it. Otherwise I'd still be using that voice 20 years on. What was the transition like? And what, what was the night when you first ditched it? Yeah, the, I remember a specific gig where I suddenly just came out of the accent and started talking like this and people couldn't really work out which was the real one. And so it wasn't as big a revelation as I was hoping it would be. <laughs> um, and then after that, it was quite a kind of, it was not so much a sudden transition as it, because you couldn't do it suddenly for that reason. If you just did it, if I tried to do it all in one show, people couldn't quite take it in so it, it ended up just something that I gradually segued into nice uh, and it was um it was uh, kind of it was a bigger thing in my head than it was for an audience basically especially down here in Australia where people didn't really differentiate between the accents anyway so no one <laughs> cared here <laughs> uh, in fact I think I did quite a few of my earliest shows in my real voice down here because uh it didn't really make any difference in not as much of a difference as it would have done at home anyway. Did you feel funnier in the, as the Welsh guy? Yeah, or... for a long time, for a long yeah. time, I felt I really missed the accent and felt like I just didn't quite, and, and certain words are just funnier in that accent. No doubt about mm. it. And I was relying, I was leaning on it as a kind of crutch, I, I guess. Uh, it also felt funnier in the sense that it was a really handy you, when you're doing short sets and stuff, as you always do early in your career, it's pretty hard to stand out, especially if there's a bunch of people on the bill. It's hard to make an instant impression on a crowd. And this was a very easy way of doing it, of course, because uh, within 20 seconds, people are like, oh, there's, oh, he's a Welsh guy, right? We know what we're getting here. It's very handy to have an instant hook like that as a comic. Yeah. So I, I missed that as well. I missed being able to walk on and immediately lay down a marker of what the audience could expect kind of thing. But again the experience of having to do without that probably made me better in the end because I just had to dig deeper to find yes. what was funny rather than just be like, here, here's my voice. Do you like that? So <laughs> in, in the long run, it was definitely for the best, but uh, there were plenty of times where I thought, I don't know, whatever I do here isn't going to be as fun for people as if I just put that voice back on, maybe I'll do that. The same as it must be for people who have a real, like a character act they do for a long time. It must be very exposing to come out of that, I should think. Well, when I when I, I preface this by saying I come from an acting background, that, that happened to me. I, I I come from far north Queensland. I mean, you know Australia. You've been here. Yeah. But it, it's and that's a bit of a you know. Yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. And so I put that voice on when I was doing characters. And everyone right, similar. Going, yeah, 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 it's great. And I was always playing these kind of yokel characters. And then I decided, oh no, I, I'm actually not that person. I yeah, feel like I'm living a lie. <laughs> Very similar experience. In fact, eventually yeah. you've got to let it go. That's right. You've got to you've got to be true to yourself. Um, what's the most sorry? What is the failure you most cherish? Now this is hard because um, I don't have a particularly good relationship with with failure. Like I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. Uh, I take setbacks and disappointments very personally. I think again, I mean that's quite common in this business, but um, it's not well, it's not an easy way to live because there are a lot of disappointments <laughs> in uh, entertainment, as you'll be aware. Oh, so yeah. like, so I, I thought about this for quite a while. And I think, um, I mean, 
I didn't really come to a conclusion because every every failure that I could think of was um, uh, like in my head. It was well, I wasn't cherishing it. Basically, I, I still felt <laughs> quite bitter about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I suppose, like, um, I, I, I suppose the the answer probably is um, that I. Uh, when about four years ago I ran a marathon it's the only time I've done it oh, and wow. it'll be the only time I will do it I think uh I've just come back from a run in fact that's why I look slightly sort of sweaty but uh, these days I run considerably less distance than uh, <laughs> 26 miles um and uh four hours is the sort of seen as like the uh the aspirational time for first marathon well for any marathon. I think it's like that's kind of the, the goals and I had friends who run it in that sort of time uh, including people older than me or less fit than me in general life. They'd obviously got fit for the marathon. So I had it in my head that would be a good time to run. And for the I've never run a marathon before. As I say, I'd, I'd worked very, very, very hard to get into shape for it. This is 2018. And, um, and the first half of it, I was right on course for it. And it was also going very well. I felt really good. Um, too good, if anything. I was going slightly too fast. I've misjudged it. Um, it also it was a very warm day. It was in Berlin in um, oh, wow. September, and uh, it was. It started quite early in the morning, but by halfway through, it was it was much too warm to be running a really long way, and I didn't really factor that in. So, for a combination of reasons, um, I started to feel worse and worse in the second half, and I started to realise that the time was my aspirational time was not going to happen, and it's then quite discouraging because you've still got. Um, eight or nine miles to run in in uh massive pain but now you're thinking this won't even be an impressive time this will just be i'm just trying to survive here um and so that was kind of like on the terms that i went into on that was kind of a failure the the time i ended up with was pretty slow but obviously i look back now and all i can remember is that i've managed to run a marathon and i'm delighted to uh to have done it and no one ever asked how fast you ran out no that's (laughs) Um, true so I think that's that maybe is the answer because that does go down as something which on yeah it was a failure for like uh, for a few hours but was like in the much grander scheme of things was a success um because I achieved something which I didn't think yeah at one time was in my grasp and I think there is probably a lesson there like I have tried to talk about this quite a bit on stage and in an audiobook that I wrote and everything often um something is only a failure if you allow your parameters to be, to be too harsh, you know, mm. like, and I think that goes for a lot of what we do. I, I'm no, I'm no use at adhering to this advice myself, but like, if you can step back and think I've achieved this, I've done that. I've, you know, I've written a show that people come and see. I, I make it, even if you just say I make a living doing this, something I enjoy, all these things are, have to go down as successes. It's just that, within them there are so many mini failures like i didn't get this gig or this went badly or and you, you fixate on those i certainly do and forget that the bigger picture is yeah but i'm still doing the thing that i set out to do mm, that's that that's right uh, you went to cambridge was the first introduction of comedy to footlights was that um how you got into it yeah although actually i didn't do much with the footlights because they were quite a kind of uh, it wasn't an elitist thing necessarily, but there were certain people that were drawn to it that were just very, very confident. People that had done quite a bit of that stuff already, maybe yeah. uh, either sketch comedy or they'd done other stuff. I had done public speaking and debating and things at school, but I didn't, I had no experience of performing really. Um, 
so uh, Footlights was quite an intimidating arena to me for the first couple of years. But then I did get cast in a touring show um, for my final sort of term at Cambridge. And that gave me the taste for it. That was a sketch show. And um, I loved doing it. And I loved the, the, the touring itself, the audiences, the live, all of it, except um, I didn't really... I didn't like the effort that goes into being in uh, like the, the costumes, the cues, the basically the <laughs> acting side of it wasn't quite for me. Yeah, I, yeah. I enjoyed it when it went off, off piece to bit. And I, so basically I was drawn to stand up by thinking, I really like being in a comedy show here, but it'd be great if uh, it wasn't quite as brutal as it'd be great if it was just me, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was something because I, I did enjoy the complicity. I enjoyed being with other, like working with a team. It was more that, when I started doing stand-up, I loved the autonomy of it. I loved just walking up on my own and everything that happened was a success or a failure for me, but no one else. Mm -hmm. I wasn't responsible to anyone else. I could think of something on the way up to the stage and just do it, which I still like. I still love it about stand-up. Uh, the spontaneity of it and the, the feeling that the yeah. risks you take are just risks for you, whereas in a team of five people, you, you can't really do that without getting four other people into the shit if it goes wrong. <laughs> 100%. So you, so did you start stand-up immediately after leaving uni? or Almost or? immediately, yeah. yeah in fact, yeah, even right. in my final term at uni, I started doing a couple of tiny little bits of stand-up in student reviews and stuff like that, and then open mics. And it didn't always go well, but it, it was it went well enough that I thought, yeah, this is sort of, this is for me, really. And, and also, I'd always wanted to be a writer. Um, that was what I wanted more than any performing ambitions. I wanted to write. And this was a way of being able to write some sort of material and just get it out there. No one could stop me again because it was just me of saying it. it it's, it's what drew me to stand up and it's what I've always, one of the things I've always valued about stand up is again, you, you really are, as much as you ever are in this game, you're sort of the master of your own destiny yeah. in a way that you're not as an actor, I guess. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, question four is what word or phrase do you most overuse? I, I, th I think, and again, this comes back to my sort of people pleasing or doormat type tendencies, it would be a phrase like, hope that's okay, or no worries if not, or something along those lines, no problems if not. There's a whole bunch of phrases that basically backtrack from the request that I've just made. <laughs> I even, I mean, I was, I was um, between five and 10 minutes late for this, uh, and I knew I was going to be in advance. So I texted my publicist to say that, and can you let Adam know? And like, even, even, constructing that message there was a fair bit of if that's okay hope that's all right would it be okay like and probably more than five minutes worth of couching the question actually <laughs> and uh that is quite a, like seen as quite a british thing but i think even even for a british person i do do an awful lot of undermining my own ambition like i, I don't know it's like a fear of either a fear of being rejected or knocked back or just a fear of offending someone but um i've hardly ever asked for anything without an incredible amount of uh, caveats well, Even I think minor it's a, stuff. Yes, it's, a, it's an Australian thing too because when I, I lived in the States for five years and when I was writing dialogue, because I'm a screenwriter, writing yeah. dialogue, um, I often use those things in my dialogue, you know, if that's okay. But, uh, sure. And, and my agent would say, we speak more directly here. Americans don't do that, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's really right. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's true. I've, it, like I've always noticed... I always find it disconcerting in the States when you say thank you and they'll just go, yep. Or yeah. like, of course, like almost yeah. quite brusquely, like they're, like they're, they're yeah. brushing you off almost like, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and there's there's quite a few things like that where uh, I've never got used to, especially in LA. I think. Yeah, if, oh, for like, sure. people always reply to thank you by just saying yep, yeah, yep. and just like yep. uh, it feels so harsh to, to a British idea. It totally does. Um, also, excuse me in Australia is a little bit. Hang on, just back off. If someone says excuse me, that means a bit passive aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whereas in America, it's just they're just being polite. Yeah, they actually mean it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> It was that, uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's a bit of a transition for me there. Uh, do you have a motto? Well, it doesn't exactly count as a. Well, I suppose it does actually, but it's not. A, it's it's uh, it's not something I was thinking about this on my way here, and it's not really a consciously adopted motto. But I think it is just keep going. Just the phrase keep going. I say it to myself a lot. Sometimes consciously, sometimes not, and sometimes it's in in in. Uh, times when you obviously need stamina, like running or doing, mm. or in a tough gig where you just got to get to the end of it, or like the, I could, the phrase "keep going," we sort of running through my head. But also just, just in life generally, I find I'm sort of muttering it to myself on some level, either verbally or subverbally, quite a lot. Just because you know, you, you do have to have a lot of uh, well, patience. Isn't quite the word I'm looking for. A stronger word. endurance, I suppose. It, even in the good times in life you got to stick at things quite hard, you know, and I, I find I'm quite capable of giving up on, on stuff. It's like not necessarily work projects, just anything, just, I'm, you know, quite easily knocked back and persuade myself that ah, it's not going to work out. This isn't going to work out. Even something like you know, trying to catch a train or something where it's a, a race against time, anything where it's like the outcome is 50, 50. I, I will often gravitate towards pessimism. So there is this like ticker in my brain going, keep going, keep going, going, just to remind me, nah, come that's on, right. you can do this. But as I say, it's not always even, that's why I hesitate to call it a motto because I don't really even know I'm doing it, but on some, on some level, I sort of know that I'm, but sometimes I am. I'm, I mutter stuff to myself a lot more than I think I do. Like I catch myself doing it sometimes and I think, I have this weird subconscious moment where you think, oh, I reckon I'm actually doing that all the time, but only now and again do I spot myself at it. <laughs> So do I. I mean, but the keep going is interesting because everything that you do is is pretty much self-generated. And you know, yeah. it's not like if it's not like you've got a job where so, you've got a boss and someone's telling you what to do. You you've got to do it yourself. Yeah, that is very true. I, and it'll be similar for you. Like a, a job like this does require a huge amount of energy just to just to maintain. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, it's true. I was talking about I can't remember who, but talking about this with someone the other day, like the um, the what interests me about, and this is not a criticism of, of people with more standard kind of office type jobs, but I, I do notice about some people that, yeah, they can get through the day with a series of meetings or emails or like basically most of what you have to do is given to you in a lot of jobs. And that doesn't mean it's any lesser intelligence, obviously, or initiative, but it is a different, whereas it's a different experience, certainly from waking up in the morning and thinking, I mean, sometimes things are more or less given to me to do like a tour itinerary or mm. a publicity schedule. But yeah, a lot of the time in this sort of job, if you don't keep going, then just nothing at all is happening. No. <laughs> is happening. So you, you kind of, yeah, you, you have to, and you don't always think about that. But again, that's why in its own way, it is an achievement even to exist and survive in a, in a field 100%. Like comedy or acting or anything creative, because no one really gives you a license to do it. You 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 must force yourself to, or, or you know, it's not forcing yourself, but you you have to drive yourself constantly. And you have to block out the uh, the the self loathing thoughts where you go, you're not good enough. 
yeah, it can be really, really difficult. Loads of times you have those thoughts. I think everyone does in this sort of environment. So again, yeah, you, you, you do have to, you do have to keep, and it's not about motivation uh, because I, I never really lack that. It's not about a lack of drive. It's, it's more, as you say, just holding back mm. the voice, the counter voice that says, don't keep going, <laughs> just give up, mate. Thank you so much for tuning into Out of the Question. If you'd like to subscribe to us on Patreon, we're at patreon.com forward slash out of the question with Adam Zwa. That's where you can listen to episodes ad free as well as get bonus content on every interview. Until next time, thanks for joining us.